0: Hey there. Thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. It's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of agriculture. A topic that comes up often in my conversations about the future of ag, especially lately, is how can we all help producers to be more profitable? Because if they're not making money, that affects the entire food system. So that's sort of at the core here. This is especially relevant given how much lately in the last five or six years has been invested in technology to make farmers more efficient, only to see them in some cases, still struggle for profitability. Joe Swartz is the vice president of American Hydroponics and an industry-leading consultant for commercial controlled environment agriculture, including both greenhouse and indoor ag. Joe and I have kept in touch since he was first on this show over two years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. I was encouraged to hear that after that episode, a conventional Midwest farmer reached out to Joe about potentially diversifying their operation by adding greenhouses. You can hear that episode if you'd like by searching for episode 17 Some platforms like iTunes will only go back 100 episodes, so you won't find it there, but you can find it on the internet, I promise. We talk a lot about on that episode the economics of greenhouse and indoor ag production, but I wanted to bring Joe back on the show to talk more specifically about what it might look like if more conventional growers were to incorporate this type of farming system to diversify their operations. We also get into what someone should expect in terms of return on investment with uh, something like this and what considerations they should address before considering going into this type of farming. Also, make sure you stick around to the end because Joe shares about a certification program that he's working on that I think solves some really, really interesting and relevant problems currently plaguing that industry. Really enjoyed this conversation. Joe's going to start off by sharing how he found himself transitioning from farmer to greenhouse farmer to consultant. Here's Joe Swartz.
1: I was focused on, on developing my own commercial farm. And what I had found was there were a high number of failures in the industry. And a lot of commercial growers were struggling because there wasn't a lot of really practical information. Basically, you if you were a grower and looking for information, you'd be trying to get it from either academics who had a lot of high-level horticultural knowledge, but didn't understand how that applied with controlled environment agriculture and then with running a commercial business so there was kind of a big disconnect there and the other source of information was usually companies that were looking to sell you something so i had a lot of growers reaching out to me when they saw the the level of quality production that I, that we were putting out and and the success that we were having as growers they they came to us with a lot of questions and so it really kind of pulled me into that to that end i really didn't plan on being a consultant at all, but the need was so great. And I saw so many really good people and and good growers, but, but people that were struggling. So I did my best to kind of fill in the blanks and help them out and share a lot of my failures with them. That really is where a lot of the the good practical knowledge comes from. It doesn't come from succeeding with something, but it comes from failing at something and evaluating what you did. And so all of the mistakes that I have made as a grower have really helped me to smooth that learning curve over for other growers. Uh, Learning curve in controlled environment ag is very steep, but fortunately it's fairly short. And so using my experience and the experience of growers that I work with we've been able to really kind of short-circuit that steep learning curve and really help growers get successful right out of the gate.
0: And is there a top two or three things that, that are mistakes you see most often?
1: Yeah, one of the biggest is is becoming too enamored with technology. We have to remember we have got such incredible technological tools available to us, but they have to be used appropriately. Controlled environment agriculture is not really a thing. It's not a shipping container or a greenhouse or a indoor vertical farm. What what CEA really is is the appropriate technologies used in the right way. So it's a it's like an experienced plumber who has a wide array of high level tools and he or she will select those tools and then use them with a skilled hand for a very specific job. So a crescent wrench may be the best tool for a specific job versus say an acetylene torch or or a pipe cutter. It depends very much on what that job that person is doing and controlled environment agriculture is no different. So that's a really big and very important component when a grower is, is looking at this is to help. We help to develop that understanding for a grower of which technologies make the most sense for their situation, where they are, what they're growing, what infrastructure is available. There's a lot of factors that go into that. And so by choosing the correct tools and then using them appropriately is a huge component of success or failure. So that's very, very important. Also, growers tend to steer clear or or focus more again on, on some of the technological tools and not on the horticultural production. This is farming. And we need to to understand that CEA are just farming tools. And the farther away we get from proper horticultural production, the more challenging it becomes. So I always try to pull people back and say, this is farming. We're using these specific tools to accomplish this goal. And this goal is usually high-level crop production or horticultural production. So we need to kind of stay at that. So, you know, those types of things related to the technology and related to a lot of the hype around our industry, it's very, very important to help people to kind of weed through what is practically usable information and what is not. So that's really, in my experience, been among the biggest challenges. One of the other biggest challenges is using the correct equipment in terms of the level of technology. It's many times much better to start much smaller with a smaller investment and a smaller scope of an operation, but using the correct equipment rather than trying to start bigger and using cheaper equipment or equipment that's even in some cases home built. I see that a lot and I've made that mistake a lot. I've tried to build my own systems using materials that maybe are not the best for that application. So I always try to help growers to scale back their expectations and their their scope start small use the right tools the right equipment and build from there because once you start having initial success it's very very easy to scale up and to develop and to expand but it's very difficult if you don't have the right tools to begin with
0: what goes into the decision to to use soil or not to use soil
1: Well, there's a number of factors. Part of it relates to available farmland and good quality soil. I'm a fourth-generation farmer. I come from a farming background, and I understand and appreciate the value of of high-level field production. Unfortunately, a lot of food production needs in terms of locations, urban farming or farming in more suburban areas or closer to population centers, is limited by the lack of high-quality farmland. So, so the quality of available farmland is very, very important. This is actually one of the reasons that we don't see as much controlled environment agriculture in specific farming communities. Here in New England, we've got a very robust farming community and very high-level high-quality soils in the Midwest as well. So the the level of quality in the soil is is one of the big factors. Also, once you start going into controlled environment ag techniques, one of the advantages or, or reasons behind that is you want to extend your growing season or grow all year round where the climate is not optimized to do that. So once you, you develop the infrastructure, a greenhouse or a grow space that allows you to grow year round, you are now looking at other techniques that will help you further dial in your uh, production and your crop quality. And one of the, the best ways to do that is through nutritional management and managing the nutrition in highly fertile soil is is very straightforward but it is it is quite difficult to understand because there the, it's a very very complex series of ecosystems all within the soil and managing it in a controlled environment setting where you are having a higher level of control of things like pH root zone temperature specific nutrient levels in uh, your root zone uh, microbial levels all of those things are much easier to manage at a higher level when you go into controlled environment agriculture. So so really the the environment and location are are among the most important factors. But as a grower myself and, and growing outdoors in soil as well as in, indoors in a controlled environment setting, my ability to produce a higher quality crop to do so without using pesticides are all kind of some of the factors that pushed me more into to CEA. And so that that kind of pushes that decision. But certainly there is no downside as far as crop quality to producing using good quality soil. It's just the accessibility, really, that's the big factor.
0: And, and talking about environment, it would seem to me if you're in, let's say, Minnesota in the wintertime and you want to grow in a greenhouse, it's going to take a lot of energy to keep that thing at a temperature where plants will still grow and water won't freeze and that sort of thing. Does that make it cost prohibitive to do this in, in in the winter or do you really need a good market to to get plenty of premium for that?
1: Well, a little bit of both. Now, certainly energy usage is one of the, the big components of controlled environment agriculture. But one of the things, and in, in particularly recently, we see a lot of hype regarding things like indoor vertical farming or farming inside of warehouses or buildings or shipping containers, is the notion that you're you're not spending as much on heat or your your heating bill is not contributing a higher carbon footprint for example one of the things that that we see though and that that a lot of the general public doesn't see is that the advancements in especially greenhouse technology in terms of energy conservation, energy efficiencies has gone up dramatically. So in these harsh climates, like we talk about in the upper Midwest or New England or Northern Canada, we have growers in Northern Canada right now that are very successful and utilizing greenhouse technologies that employ higher level insulated glazing material using things like heat retention curtains thermal curtains they both can shade crops in summer but also retain heat and hold and keep the, the fuel usage down to a minimum also, heat storage technologies, whether we're looking at large volume water thermal storage systems, solar systems, to do that. There are many different options that we have in controlled environment, even for kind of the traditional greenhouse grower, where the, the kind of common perception is that, that they use a lot of heat. And of course, there there is a significant heating input, but the advancements, even in the last few years for energy conservation, lowering fuel usage, lowering cold stress on, on, on crops or on structures has gone up dramatically. So that's one of the things that I think is one of the most exciting advancements in our uh, technologies.
0: If somebody is listening and, and let's say they're, they're a farmer and uh, they grow corn and wheat and soybeans and they think, you know, boy, it'd be nice to maybe grow something in the off season and also it'd be kind of nice to have something that wasn't just a commodity crop, should that person consider something like this? And if so, what, what should they ask themselves first?
1: Mm-hmm. Excellent question. And certainly they should incorporate controlled environment ag technologies. And I, I'm living proof of that. I grew up on a small scale farm here in Massachusetts. And as I was in uh, high school and college was looking at different ways in which I could make our small scale family farm viable. And that was things like extending the season or growing year round, growing higher quality in demand, higher value crops growing without using pesticides. There were a whole bunch of different factors that are uh, part of our traditional farming systems that are challenging for growers. And, and what I had done was I began incorporating hydroponics and CEA techniques into my existing growing operation. And I have helped for 35 years. Other growers do the same. In fact, we have a, a grower, uh, large field grower in Illinois and also one in Kansas right now that are looking at taking their existing farm system and not, not changing their farm system at all, but rather just incorporating controlled environment ag techniques into their specific farming operation. Usually, obviously they have substantial infrastructure, Farmers have a a substantial leg up in terms of understanding the growing process. Hydroponics, controlled environment ag, is no different than regular farming in terms of what the crops need and how to manage that. We just have some different tools and some higher technologies, but farmers are farmers are farmers. And however they grow, it's all pretty much the same. And so the Incorporation of these techniques into an existing traditional farm is really a very natural and, and very positive progression, and I, I've lived it myself. I've seen a lot of growers. I think, fortunately, one of the great things that I'm seeing with young people, we've done some work with some young farmers coming out of the FFA programs who are, again, family farmers. They are what we consider kind of the traditional American farmers, and we are looking to help them bring in new technologies that, you know, provide cash flow year-round, provide a higher level of, of crop quality and control, And what we've seen with that is some growers like myself, who have now kind of transitioned over to mostly controlled environment ag production and other and some farms will do that. Some farms will lower the amount of field production they do and focus more on the CEA and other farms just simply operate both. I mean, it's really it's a good a good marriage of of the technologies and things like sales and marketing techniques. It's all the same.
0: And and what about those farmers that are really remote? I mean, nowhere near a consumption area of, of high demand. Is it still possible? Do you have, you know, controlled environment ag that's nowhere near the consumer? Because these are pretty fresh, you know, products we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now fortunately there there's very little play there are very little places and very few places that that are are that removed from a growing population. We have small scale growers, one just received a new system last week in fact in the northern Canadian territories and they only have a small community, I believe it's about 6,000 people all within a I think it's a 20 or 30 square mile area. So, so the 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 access to local food is a universal need, and so really anywhere where there's viable farming options, the controlled environment ag systems work into that. Now, in terms of post harvest quality, kind of the ability to ship longer distances, what we have with controlled environment ag techniques is it allows us to to grow high quality crops that that when cared for properly, when properly harvested, when properly stored at the right temperatures, actually have a substantially longer shelf life than many of the kind of traditional crops. They're still mostly tender leafy greens and culinary herbs that have the, the same limited shelf life of, of uh, the, their field-grown counterparts, but certainly distribution is not a challenge with uh, regards to getting them to marketplace. I mean, we have growers in, in, in very rural areas that still can distribute their crops. You know, a, a few hundred miles is, is still not, is, is part of the food system, not a, a substantially long distance. But still, most of our growers, which are small-scale family-type farms, have CSA programs or local farm stand local co-op type setups where they're actually selling most of their products literally in their in their neighborhoods and local communities
0: what about you know for for going back to that farmer that might be listening and thinking well, i wonder if i should put up you know put up a greenhouse here i could see one of the concerns being well, I can't fit this equipment in the greenhouse. So this sounds like a lot of work, kind of getting in and doing everything by hand. Is there automation that is making this a lot more efficient and productive from uh, from a labor standpoint?
1: Absolutely, and and the the level of technology can vary quite a bit. And it depends on what your needs are. So we have larger growing operations who, for a number of reasons, need to limit the amount of human involvement in terms of the production, both for labor savings to food safety issues. And we have automated systems systems that basically will move crops from one end to the other that have very, very minimal human input. And so those technologies are very exciting and they're very cool. They're kind of the sexy technologies that people are, are enamored with and like to read about. However, even on larger scales, many times the growing operations are designed as one of their components of what the system is, is to provide good quality, high-paying living wage jobs for entry-level farm workers. So we have we lower the level of technology so we, we're actually providing good quality jobs. So the level of technology that we hear about all the time, it it is, again, specific to the application. So we have a, a lot of technologies in terms of material handling and crop maintenance that can be raised or lowered depending on the need. In terms of kind of even basic automation, things like environmental management, nutritional management, these are things that we can now control at a very high level with minimal human involvement but at the same time these controllers are collecting data and providing real-time and historical input and, and value for the grower so the growers can basically focus on doing the important tasks in the greenhouse and they know their environmental control systems for example are maintaining the environment at a very high level and and documenting it and tracking it and collecting data so the growers can analyze that and make better growing decisions based on that. So that is a technology that is is now at a very very high level yet it is very affordable and we incorporate that type of technology in, even into our most basic systems. So so growers can really focus on being good growers. Traditional greenhouse growers spend a lot of time whether it was loading coal or wood into the wood stove to you know carrying bags of grow mix in and out and moving material and hauling crops out we have a lot Lot of technologies now that really free up the grower to focus on doing what they do best. Hmm.
0: And if and we talked about this a lot the first time you we were on the show, so I don't want to get too far into it. But you know, your clients, if they're looking at building a greenhouse, how quickly are they wanting that facility to pay for itself from the initial costs of just just the infrastructure itself? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean obviously the return on investment which is really one of the most important components that people don't always talk about is is a critically important factor to your commercial success. If you if you have a growing system in the greenhouse that you know has a 20 year payback that's that's just very very difficult to to do well financially. So we have our systems that we've specifically designed that will produce a a reasonable return on investment. Within about three years, they'll pay for themselves. And we've worked really hard at at balancing technology, productivity, and cost-effectiveness because that's one of the things in this industry right now that is challenging a lot of growers we we like to hear about the indoor automated systems and the the highly mechanized equipment and some of them produce a a you know a, a, an inferior product but even ones that produce sometimes a higher quality product can can do so at such a cost point that the return on investment is 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 measured in multiple years or even decades and at at the rate of our technological advances most of these technologies are going to become obsolete before they're paid for and that's that's definitely not helping the industry so so certainly a 3 year payback at maximum for a high level growing system is something that we've really tried to put out in the industry and and we've been we, we and our growers have been achieving a great amount of success doing that.
0: Interesting. Let's talk about talent in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, Obviously, there, there's a lot of technology, and that's exciting. But what I have realized in all of agriculture is no matter how much technology you bring in, you still need the people. I mean, you still need the people, and sometimes that can change the skill set you might need a little bit. So what are you seeing as far as industry-wide? Where are the needs in terms of talent, and mm-hmm. what are you all doing as far as trying to help with that?
1: well we're you know one of the things that is is as a kind of a, a longer running member of the industry is that i've had I've, the opportunity to see in my rear view mirror, a little bit trends and and things that have changes that have happened in the industry, and one of the really great things is the the larger number of young people that are interested in getting into agriculture and, and that that enthusiasm and involvement that's really great and that's something that we're working really hard to to stimulate and to encourage and I think that's that's going to be one of the the great things in this industry over the next few years. But with that said, we do have really a worldwide. Quality grower shortage. There are the, the advancement of the controlled environment ag industry. One of the limiting factors is that, of course, the cannabis industry has also taken away a, a large number of, of, of high quality growers from the food production industry. So there's an even more important and pressing need for high level training and information provided to growers. So one of the things that that our company, M-Hydro, is doing right now is we are developing a certification program, and and this is really twofold. One is to provide high-level grower training, and this is to provide growing knowledge and experienced skill to either new people to the industry or even existing growers that are are, are looking to to raise their skill level. Obviously, as we have worked over the past 35 years, we have worked with many of the high-level growing companies and farming companies across the world that, that you may have heard of. And we understand that there's a very, very specific need for the type of long-term commercial experience that we've had. So we provide everything from a very basic level. So for most growing operations, for example, we will come in and train or provide online training for everyone on the growing team. And this is literally from maintenance people all the way up to to low-level growers. And this is kind of a very base level information and techniques and technologies. And then we have a higher level for specifically for growers and grower managers. And so this this serves two purposes. One is it provides not only a growing operation with a a much higher level of skilled growers and skilled personnel, but really we look to develop a, a very cohesive growing team and what we have seen with growers that we've worked with, that, that we've been able to to dramatically increase their productivity and their overall growing success by developing kind of a growing team model. This could be everything from standard operating procedures to growing uh, technologies that are very specific to one growing operation. So we can do kind of all of that. But the other component of that is in, in the industry itself, most retail outlets, most grocery chains that we know of, are now purchasing more and more hydroponic or controlled environment ag produced products. However, this industry is very, very disjointed and there's still a a substantial amount of resistance to committing to purchasing larger volumes of CEA products. And that's specifically because there is a lack of cohesiveness. So one one grower will have a different type of product standard and even different production technologies, and then another will have something very, very different. And that inconsistency has presented some problems kind of for the food distribution and retail end. And so what we're looking to do is to take this certification and provide it to the, to the actual end users, to the grocery chains, to the food distribution centers, to to provide to them a certain level of this farm that has this certification has abided by these specific standards. And these are food safety standards. These are crop production technology standards and, and to a certain degree, environmental standards as well. So when a growing operation comes to, say, a Whole Foods, basically that Whole Foods has to be sold on that particular individual farm's process and technology, and that becomes very difficult when they're trying to purchase from 10 or 15 different growing operations. So now with with some type of standardization in terms of certification, it's much easier for grocery chains and it instills more confidence in them to work with hydroponic growers who have a certain certification. So even if it's different growing operations, they still have the same standard of a certification. And that is again, it's it's similar to the organic standards in the conventional agricultural field where there are many many different organic growers, but they all are adhering to certain standards so a a whole foods or a stop and shop or a big y knows that an organic certification from this farm is basically provides a, a certain level of security that these other farms that have the same technology, the same certification abide by the same standards, so we 're trying to take the that disjointedness in the controlled environment ag industry right now and we 're working with leaders in organizations like the PMA which set standards for grocery products that we can now help to develop a certification that not only helps the growers develop a better growing team but also to have kind of a marketing tool that it's a certification that will provide some level of assures, assurance that these products were grown by these standards.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I know you all are, are still gonna—you haven't quite rolled that out yet. But what types of things would go into, you know, a standard as far as you know what fa- what variables would be involved there?
1: Okay, so in terms of say the crop standards, the the standards would be for a large number of different crops different quality standards i mean in the in the produce industry right now there are certain acceptable standards and this is everything from pack size to crop quality in certain cases to pest management practices so we would we would standardize those so with a certain certification for example, pesticide free production, so or biological pest control. That type of, of certification or that part that component to the standardization is very important. Crop quality and size is also very, very important. There's a lot of right now lack of continuity growers that are coming to the industry, for example, with green bib lettuce, and there's growers that are producing three and three and a half ounce heads and other growers in the same marketplace with eight or nine ounce heads. And while some people see that individuality as a benefit, the, the actual grocery retailers see that as a, a, a negative and it's, a, it, it's certainly a source of some of that resistance to buying those products. So, so certain quality standards and pest control Standards are very important, but then we also also dovetail that with food safety standards. So how that crops, how those crops are handled, literally from the day the seed is planted to the time it is delivered to a grocery store, that that everything from handling practices, all of the this what we consider the standard food safety practices to traceability. So a grocery store would have the ability to know that these operations have been approved that they have a traceability program. So if, Tim, you are growing your lettuce and Whole Foods got a call that someone raised a food safety issue with your lettuce, you could very, very quickly determine that the lettuce you delivered on Friday, you could follow that chain backwards and you could show exactly what temperature it was kept at in coolers who handled it, how long it was in storage, where it was transplanted and by whom. So all of those kind of standards that, that are evolving in the industry now, we're trying to incorporate that to smooth out some of the, the resistance to controlled environment ag because controlled environment ag right now really is, a, as part of the, the, the grocery industry and the produce industry, really is advancing quickly. But one of the big growing pains is that lack of standardization.
0: Yeah. Then, of course, I mean, the the huge benefit of helping other entrepreneurs have a framework to follow. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. The hard thing about starting my own business is developing the process. It takes years to develop the processes. So if you're certifying them and teaching them, hey, here's a process that works to meet these standards, that's just a massive benefit for people who want to get into it for the first time and people who are struggling right now who want to improve their processes.
1: Yeah, that that's exactly right. And, and this really was born out of the fact that as part of Amhydro's consulting services and our, our work within the industry, is that was one of the biggest needs. And we've had a number of, of high-level and high-profile growing operations come to us with questions and, and challenges related to developing their own process and standardization. And so in doing that and then also working kind of with the grocery industry, like the PMA is seeing that the demand is there on their end. So it just seemed to to make sense and be kind of the natural evolution that, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and we've helped growers become successful at developing the standardization. But kind of the next step then is to kind of help the industry overall to do that. And it seems like there's a need on the growers end and there's a need on the sales end. So it just seems like the time is right.
0: Right, right. All right. Well, Joe, how can how can we support you? What you know, what do you have going on that you'd like people to check out? Or or how can we follow up with with what you're working on?
1: Well, I certainly appreciate all of the input. We get a lot of support and a lot of interest on AmHydro's social media. So AmHydro has obviously an extensive social media presence from the website amhydro.com to uh, Instagram. Facebook. We have a presence on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I personally, Joe Swartz and Hydro Consultant on Twitter, we do have upcoming seminars. We have three or four times a year in Northern California. Our next one is coming up in February. So if anybody's interested in in joining us for a two-day intensive in the greenhouse growing seminar, please feel free to check out the website. So I think that those are really the best tools that we've got available.
0: Thanks so much to Joe Swartz for being on the show, and please make sure you go check out everything they have going on on social media. Do you know a conventional farmer that's invested in a greenhouse to diversify their operation? I'd be curious to talk to them more about the themes discussed on this episode. Send me an email about them, tim at aggrad.com. That's A-G-G-R-A-D dot com if you're listening to this soon after it published i hope you have a wonderful holiday season and a very happy new year we'll be back next week with another ag innovator actually that's not true it's just me next week but you'll get my reflections on this past year and some thoughts for where things might be going for this show in 2020 i hope you're subscribed and if so i'll talk to you then